Hey team, welcome back to another episode of the Strength Game Podcast. I'm your host, Nick O'Brien, and this is episode number 36. The Strength Game is a weekly podcast dedicated to discussing all things physical culture with the coaches, athletes, iron enthusiasts, and experts deeply embedded in the strength game on both sides of the profession, both as coaches and as competitive athletes. Also want to thank everyone who has liked, shared, and commented and subscribed to the show. Your support allows us to continue to bring on expert guests and highlight more individuals in the strength game, just like our guests today. Also want to thank our sponsor, Cerberus Strength. Trusted since 2012, Cerberus is making the best strongman, powerlifting, and strength sports equipment and accessories, ensuring the ultimate competitive edge. Every one of the products is tried, tested, and proven by top-level athletes worldwide. So whether it's competing on the big stage at World's Strongest Man or training at home in the gym, Cerberus Strength Equipment is reliable, durable, and of course, strong enough to handle all your training goals and needs. So if you're in the market for the highest quality strength conditioning gear and equipment, be sure to check out CerberusStrength.com and use promo code STRENGTH underscore game to save on your next order. And in this week's episode, I'm joined by Dr. Tim Stone. Stone is a sports physical therapist and clinic manager at True Sports Physical Therapy in Maryland. Stone received his doctorate in physical therapy from the University of Maryland, Baltimore, with a special interest in orthopedic and sports rehabilitation, where he finds himself emphasizing in his daily work. He spent time as a physical therapy student intern at multiple different clinics, as well as been a personal trainer and intramural sports supervisor at his alma mater's recreation and fitness center. A standout lacrosse player in his own right, Stone was a four-year defensive midfielder at Salisbury University, a two-time national champion and two-time team captain, as well as NCAA Elite 89 award recipient. Tim still currently plays rec lacrosse in the Baltimore area and is training to help provide the absolute best in sports rehab care for his athletes and clients. Like I said, I'm excited to have him on the show today. So with all that said, let's get in the game with Dr. Tim Stone. What's going on, everybody? Today, I got the Burry Boys back together. Uh, long distance wise, though, this time I got Tim Stone with me. What's going on, man? Not too much, man. Good to see you. Yeah, man. Good you chat. too. Hey, I wish uh, I know you got to travel up to watch the boys play. Um, unfortunate kind of end to the season in that COVID year, but it was a hell of a game for sure. What'd you think? Uh, terrible game. Terrible game. <laughs> Not trying to sit in the stands, nervous all all all, uh, all afternoon. I was hoping they beat them by ten, but it was it was a it was a good spectator uh, game at least. Yeah, I try to stay away from it now that I'm a spectator and far away. But I mean, if anybody watching that didn't have a betting chance on either end, it was a pretty good game to watch. But definitely wish we would have done the guys and girls repeat. That's always what you want, both right. in the same year, almost right. the same score too. So. Hey, uh, I want to get right into this thing. I know you're late over there on the East Coast, but let's kind of talk about how you actually got started in the strength game, like lifting and then eventually having a very good career playing lacrosse with the Bury team. How'd you kind of get started, man? 
So I kind of started playing lacrosse when I was around 10. It was a really fringe sport where I grew up in Australia. But uh, my dad was kind of like a, a no Sunday sports. That was family day. And lacrosse was one of the only Saturday sports over there in the winter. So I started playing with my brother. Um, and then right around high school time, I started to get interested in the like lifting and you know strength and conditioning kind of piece of it. I was going out for a Australian on the 19s team, and I was about 15, so I was definitely on the younger end of it. Um, and they were rattling off down the list of the U.S. guys, you know, 6'1", 6'2", 200, 225. And I was probably like 40, 45 at the time. So um, it really kind of hit me that I needed to get in the weight room. And I was fortunate enough to go to a school that had all that access there. But um, I didn't play a high school sport there. Lacrosse was all outside of school. So I just started going in there and messing around with weights and, and seeing what I could do. And, you know, that was really like the, the start of, of the training. Um, I wasn't super consistent with that. But, but then re- really when I, went to, when I went to Salisbury and I started seeing all the guys like, and, you know, and the mentality and, you know, the, the consistency of everybody working out there, that just like made me fall in love with, you know, with the weight room and, you know, almost at the same level of, of lacrosse. That was really, you know, really where I felt so in love with it. Yeah, that's cool. I know uh, most people don't realize it, and I've talked to other people on the show, like Division Three, Division Two, like from a strength conditioning aspect, like everything you guys do in the off season, except for like a very short period for practice time in the off season, is voluntary. Um, can you kind of touch on and like speak on like maybe the difference in the mentality of why Salisbury is so successful in the off season, and like what kind of that training atmosphere was like, because I worked with you guys pretty much almost, I think the majority of your career, maybe if not all of it, but kind of speak on coming from Australia over to not really being forced to lift, but your teammates were really kind of holding everybody accountable to train and, and like get after it in the off season when we're not allowed to kind of instill that in you, what kind of started that and what kind of, like led to your guys' success? Yeah, so, um, well, first of all, I'll probably apologize for myself and our teammates and how terribly we were at following all the uh, programs that you put in place for us. Um, we were god-awful at that, but I think part of it was that there was just such a strong um, connection or about, you know, going to the weight room on your own and doing your own thing. You know, the first we only do that six week block in, in the off season in fall ball. And, you know, the day one is, is the, is the test is our testing and um, getting up there as a freshman, you know, and not being able to put your body weight up one time on, on the bench and, you know, seeing a senior put it up, you know, 40 times or 35 times. I think that really like showed me and showed all the other guys in my, in my grade, like, you know, what we need to do to, you know, being all American or win a championship like the rest of the guys. So um, I think that's re- where it really like sparked the interest. And, and, you know, our, our weight room was the same, you know, the rest of the campus. We didn't have a separate athlete gym, for, especially for that off season part. And powers was kind of like, almost like new to us over there. So it was cool kind of just to walk through campus. We'd be having class. If you'd walk downstairs and you looked in there, there was always three or four guys, lifting and you know it was super competitive so if you see someone else 
going out of in there. You're, as soon as you finish class, you're walking in the locker room, getting cha- changed, and, and going to go do it yourself as well. So that's that really sparked me and um, into into that side of things. And just just seeing like the work ethic of everybody um, lifting in there every single day, and, and that was cool. I, I remember like being part of the wave when I was lifting in Australia. It was like you know, you got to give yourself 48 hours to like recover to go back and do that. And then I went there and I just remember one of the things being like, are you kidding me? Like we're going to lift today, tomorrow, the next day, five or six days a week. And I was shocked you could do that. And, and kind of, you know, when I started doing that and, and learning about, you know, even just dumb stuff like offsetting body parts and things like that, you know, it really showed me that you could take your, you know, training and, and really your confidence to the next level. So um, that's kind of how, how we started. No, it's cool. I know the the upperclassmen always set a really good standard and that that kind of trickled down to everybody else. And I know that testing, like every time we did it in the off season, that's really daunting, especially guys going up that know that don't know what to expect or like don't know what really to do. Some guys have never even touched a bar in their life when they get in there. And then to see that the starting attack man like the entire defensive line, even some of the goalkeepers are, they're putting up decent numbers and some of the guys are (laughs) putting up some crazy numbers and you realize real quickly that if you want to see the field and if you want to be successful and I mean, the goal I think is always to win a championship at Salisbury and win the conference, but it's also to make sure that everybody leaves graduated with a ring at some point. That's, that's kind of the standard expectation and you find out really quick that if you're not training and if you're not doing stuff like when coach is there, then you're going to fall off real quick. And and that's part of that D3 life. And I think that's why like Salisbury's always been successful. It's the older guys setting a standard expectation. So kind of touching on, I know now you've got your own your own thing going on, still training everything, but big into physical therapy you're a doctor yourself now so what kind of sparked the interest for that because like you said coming from australia over it was a little bit different like lifting wise like what actually the training kind of get you interested in physical therapy was like exercise science what you initially came over to salisbury to do yeah so i actually had originally done a year and a half or close to two years of um what they call it physiotherapy in Australia and it's a bachelor's there so I'd done a year and a half there and um and I had the opportunity to come over and play so I put that aside and you know um deferred from that and so I kind of had to go through the undergrad process at Salisbury first I went into exercise science there but I already you know knew that that's kind of what I wanted to do and and that really started when I was a young kid and you know had a million different injuries and had seen you know the same physical therapist on and off here and then patched me up a bunch of times and I actually first really was interested in the strength and conditioning world I loved that side of it but I think you know I think my parents thought it was like working at like a you know lifestyle gym personal training thing so they really like pushed me to you know take the medical route something a little bit more like consistent um so yeah I always had the you know dream of becoming a PT and you know and a sports PT at that so once I was over at Salisbury, going through the exercise science degree, um, it gave me a good little, you know, further taste um, into more of the, the sports route rather than just um, hospital-based physical therapy and things like that um, that I was learning back in Australia. And um, then, yes, yeah, so I decided that I would 
either go back and finish my PT degree in Australia or, or stay in the U.S. And you know how it goes. You fall in love with somebody and uh, <laughs> then you have to, uh, you know, make all the things fall into place so you can go to PT school here. So that kind of happened to me and ended up at University of Maryland to do that. So, yeah, I think it all worked out in the end pretty well. You got your own you got your own little practice going on over there. You got I know you guys are booming with true sports and expanding right now and your family's growing at the same rapid pace too. So <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's cool though. Cause I knew you went, I knew you kind of came over and it's, it's props to you to basically like take a chance to come over basically a year and a half into the program, start over, but be able to play lacrosse and, and still continue. And I know a lot of people that come from out of like out of the country have a little bit of trouble kind of collecting themselves and realizing that there's a lot of different changes in either the customs or, or the schooling process of everything. That's, it's just a lot going all at once, but I mean, kudos to you because you, you had to start basically over again, even though you were now in a good position with a little bit of background, but kind of touching on like you your initial thought of being like strength conditioning and you probably picked a better choice doing physical therapy for sure um in some of the climate but you do do yourself a lot of like training like within your practice and a lot of your sports rehabilitation is probably not considered what most people would see in like a general population you're actually incorporating like sports specific skills and movements with either rehab from surgeries or things along those lines. Can you kind of touch on like what your philosophy is when working with an athlete? Cause most of your clients are athletes and like what the goal of it is, what the program kind of entails, like just bolt big bolts and pieces here. Yeah. So, I mean, I think we are, we are a little different. Like at, at the place of my true sports right now, we're, um, we're definitely predominantly athlete oriented. I would say probably 90 to 95% of my caseload is, is athletes who are competing at a particular sport. Um, so our goal really is to take athletes from the table when they're first injured and then put them all the way back on the field. So we really incorporate all those pieces in like the continuum of care to get somebody all the way back onto the field. So, um, there's definitely pieces of safety conditioning that I lean upon, like in, in my, with my background and in, in, in utilizing those. Um, mostly like the loading portions and exercise selection and all, and all those kinds of things. Um, so, so we do that a lot. And, and you're right, sort of like at the end, sort of like towards the end of the rehab, it, it definitely, you know, if you were to paint a picture or take a snapshot of it, it, it doesn't look like what you think of. You know, people bending their knees on tables and things like that. We're cutting, we're sprinting, you know, we're throwing weights around. Um, if it's lacrosse, we're shooting the ball. You know, if it's baseball, the, you know, the players are pitching, patients are pitching, um, shooting hoops, you know, getting my off tripped over by somebody running by me. And, you know, it gets kind of like uh, a little bit more intense towards the end. But um, we definitely still do the early stuff. Tons of post-ups, right, where we're – managing people's care and um, managing infections like gloved up and looking at sutures and, and all those kinds of things. So we really try to take an approach that we can work from that sort of like minimal end and take somebody all the way through, to, you know, where they step on the field for the first time. 
Yeah, I like that approach. And I think it lends really well to what you guys are doing. And I think it puts the athletes that are in your care in a, in a great frame of mind. Because even if it's not the same sport or they're not in the same position, they see a lot of people like maybe someone coming in next or someone that's on the other side of the room at a different stage in the recovery process. Even if it's not a similar injury or like we said, a similar sport, like they can see the process kind of enveloping. And if you're a basketball player and now you see someone that three months ago was coming off an ACL injury that's shooting hoops or like you said, running by you real quick, it probably puts you at a lot more like ease to understand that this person is actually helping me get back to my sport. Like it's not just a, this is the injury. This is like the point mechanism of injury. Like they're just going to fix my knee. There's actually a process involved to get you back to return to sport. And then I think that's why, that's why it's really successful and cool that you actually incorporate those things within the sport like involved in the rehab process, but it is later down the line for sure. Yeah. I think, you know, there's, we get this all the time where people come in and, and they walk in for the first time after, you know, maybe going somewhere else to a big gen pop like facility. And they're like, I was doing all my exercises next to Nancy recovering from her, um, you know, a knee replacement and, you know, like the environment, like you said, is super important. It, it is, um, Cool to see either you're somebody that you know who's been through the process, like within the facility, you know, from the community who's, you know, closer to the end of their rehab um, or someone that's in the exact same position as you, you know, like we do a million ACLs a year and they all roll in, you know, at the start of either spring or fall season. So, you know, you might be on the table next to somebody, um, you know, they might go to the same school together and they might chat about their rehab process and, you know, help each other, help each other through that process. It has its cons too, though. There's a lot of comparing and contrasting to where people are. And, you know, I think it's our job as a therapist to make sure that they understand that everybody's rehab is their own. You know, some phases go really fast for some people and some phases go really slow for others. So, um, we also try to make sure that it's super individualized and, you know, you don't get caught up in, you know, what somebody else is doing, even though um, that they may be two weeks ahead or two weeks behind you or something like that. No, that's a good point. I, I know I deal with that with uh, surgical procedures, like players coming back to me and it's kind of bridging the gap between athletic training and strength conditioning, like on my end, because usually I don't really see the physical therapist so much because we're contracted out for them. But you can definitely see like comparing different times of season, like with my baseball guys, like anybody that ever has to have Tommy Johns, they're always talking to someone else. Be like, hey, where were you at three weeks in the process? And then, oh, I'm ahead. Like I'm in a better position. It's like, ah, let's pump the brakes. Like everybody's a little bit different. Like everybody's a little bit different, like how your surgery was taken, how you took to the surgery. Those are those are good points to kind of ensure that whoever you're talking to, it's their own individual rehab. Otherwise, people can get way ahead of themselves and try to progress too early or maybe have a negative mindset that puts them now psychologically a step behind where they were initially. Yeah, I think like I remember doing that as an athlete on the table, like next to somebody else who went through, who's going through the same issue. And especially with that post-operative thing, like, you know, my, my rule is like, 
you can't beat the phases of the protocol. Like you can't be six weeks ahead, six weeks ahead of the protocol. You can only be the best at that time point in the protocol and ready to progress to the next portion of, you know, of that phase of, of rehab. So, you know, whether you're, you know, you have ginormous like quads and, you know, somebody else has never lifted a weight in their, in their life. Like those rehabs should still lend similar-ish um, timelines just based on like tissue healing and things that you don't have control over. Um, but our goal is always to make sure that like when you're ready to take that step to the next level, whether that be like getting off your crutches and walking or going for your first jog or the first time that you like make a pivot, that those things come with, you know, the best tissue quality, you know, all the best range of motion or the least amount of pain. So, you know, you're checking all these boxes off as you're reaching the next phase of, you know, of the plan. Right. Yeah, I know you guys address all those things, and that's good to kind of keep it within a good frame of mind that you can't really progress yourself too quickly within a certain protocol. Like there, there are things that need to be checked off before you actually progress. Like you kind of touched on it a little bit. How important is their frame, these athletes like frame of mind and like the mental approach and maybe some of the conversations that you have to either have collectively or candidly with some of them to make sure that they're not either getting too ahead of themselves or comparing themselves to someone or just kind of like losing a, like a grasp of reality at this point. Like, do you, do you, how do you approach those sort of things with your athletes so that they stay in the right frame of mind that so they can focus on the task at hand and the process? Yeah. The mental side of it is, is huge, especially with this post-op stuff. Some of them might be rehabbing for a year. Um, so I think, you know, it's like a lot of things that t take a, a long time that you're working towards, whether it's a degree or, you know, you're going to have your ups and downs, like going through that process. Um, we try to set these like small, achievable, attainable goals with these larger goals in mind. Um, and those things sort of like help your athlete keep focused like now and today. Um, but also keep a big picture in mind. So if you have a terrible session, you know, and things don't go well, it's not the end of your rehab. Next time we see you, you we'll get it back. But also on the same note that you got to bring it every single day because you can't come and have tons of off days or we're not going to move the needle in, in the right direction. So um, we do a lot. We stay in touch with our patients a lot. I think almost every single one of my patients have my cell. So if they're, if they're able to, you know, if they've gone through something that's affecting the rehab, like we want to know. And, you know, we talk about those things a lot. And I could probably say almost everyone, if not everyone going through that long-ish process, you know, whether it be a collegiate male or, you know, a middle school female, like at some point during that long process, there's, there's tears, you know, and and you have to be able to sort of like, uh keep you know understand and, and listen and, and hear what they're saying and you know be able to offer advice on how you get to that next level and how you move through this and not all of the outcomes are like smooth i think a lot of people think that you get the surgery and you do the thing and you're good to go you know you do your rehab and it's and you're ready to roll but 
you know, each one of these is really different. And like we said before, everyone has like a little bit different a, a route and there's tons of ups and downs and, you know, you hit a roadblock or you're powering through something, you know, it's our job to kind of keep people on an even keel and, you know, keep pushing, pushing them in the right direction. Yeah. That's a good point saying even keel. Cause I mean, there's, especially with some of the longer duration ones, there's definitely going to be some, some points in time where, yeah, you're maybe really ahead in the process, but some days like the stress is just overwhelming or something super painful. And, and it's, it's definitely helpful when you have someone like kind of pull you back to reality and kind of like right the ship. So you're not getting, letting your highs get too high and your lows too low. And you're, you're trying to hover somewhere in the middle. And I know, uh, I know you guys do a good job of it too. Cause we've, uh, we've been connected back again since having one of my lacrosse players way out on the West coast was doing rehab with you way out on the East coast. So, um, I know, I know that you keep tabs on them and you guys are always in constant communication. She was always telling me, it's like, Oh man, Tim's Tim knows I'm going to do this stuff. Tim knows ex- I got to make sure he's doing my rehab. Let him know I'm doing his rehab. I was like, <laughs> I was like, he'll know if you're doing the rehab or not. I'm not going to tell him if you're not going to do it. So, but I think also with social media and stuff like that, you guys aren't really going to post anything that is, is probably a setback for an athlete. Like the whole point of it is for you guys to kind of boost the morale, keep everything positive and show maybe transitions of someone getting finally leaving. I know you've posted those a few times, like someone after a year of post-op being able to actually kind of graduate out and not really need to come in every day. So that can be another thing that if athletes are only looking at that or only kind of comparing themselves to someone else or only looking at your guys' social media, you're not going to put someone's surgical downfall like online so that's another thing that like i thought was interesting as just a mental side of it to kind of controlling your patients as they're going through the rehab process yeah i think i mean i'm certainly like we're all aware of that and obviously there's competition and, and whatnot in whatever area on you know who's the best pt or who's the best strength coach and you know you that's social media in a nutshell right like it's a highlight reel of all your um your successes as a clinician which are really like your athlete successes but those things happen every day i think you know our, cl- our clinicians take it really personally when those things happen you know if someone's not doing well under our care um you know we feel that we take that home with us and you know we don't sleep over it as well and you know i think that's what makes us really good is that we do care that much and you know, if something's not going right, you're doing everything in your power to, to ride the ship and, and make it go in the right direction. But certainly you get those tougher cases. A lot of the, some of the things are out of your control, whether it be, you know, a, a third round of surgery on the same injury, like, you know, and I think leaning, we lean a lot on our colleagues who have, you know, been through it or seen a little bit more or, you know, had that, that injury like in front of them more times than somebody else. And, you know, we use, like lean on each other to kind of like, um, I guess get advice and you know how to again push them, push them forward and write the shit. Yeah, that's a great thing to do. Like lean on each other, and especially someone that's either got more experience in a certain type of sport or like mechanism of injury or whatever that is. Like to be able to collaborate with each other and kind of give your client and give your athlete the best product available. I mean, that's what you're looking to do. 
like your success is going to be their success at the end of the day. So like to have an ego about it and not like confer with some, like one of your like other PTs and talk to them about something just because it, you have to ask them for help. Like you're doing a disservice to your athlete and your client. So I know that's something you definitely don't do at all. And it's, it is kind of a cool thing about true sports. I think is that you have a lot of things kind of under house, like not only are physical therapists there, but you've got strength coaches and you've got a lot of different things like housing that like, what's kind of the benefit you see to having more professionals and different well-rounded professionals under one roof, like we said, so you can kind of benefit the athlete in their return to play. Yeah. I mean, I, we've been, I've been really blessed to work at like multiple different facilities and they've all had different strength and conditioning companies and all of them, and they've all been top notch. So I'm really lucky to have, um, had those relationships with, with the coaches in the area. So that's probably the biggest one that we have um, is in with the strength and conditioning. And um, we lean on them a ton, especially, you know, like in this insurance climate and what we did, like you pointed out towards the end of rehab, it doesn't look so much like rehab. A lot of times patients insurance aren't going to pay for that. And, you know, paying cash out of pocket for PT is really expensive. So, you know, it's our job if that sort of like runs out to get them with people that can keep helping them um, and help them get where they need to be until they can maybe come back and, you know, finish off with us. So we've been really fortunate to share spaces with, with strength coaches that are uh, really open to working with our athletes and, and open to, you know, advice on what to, what like what other to-dos with um, different injuries and, you know, what are the not to-dos and being in the same facility really helps like if they if we see an athlete about to participate in something that probably not appropriate for them um we're able to just you know give them a nudge and say it's probably not a good idea like for that person right now or they may came, come over and say hey this person did great on um on their back squatting like with their knee pain today like can we push it forward into like flyer stuff next next time we'll say yeah let's go let's see how it goes and um, I think that's really important to be able to like have that dialogue uh, with other um, clinicians, whether it be strength coaches, PTs, or you know, or, or surgeons, um, athletic trainers. We we deal a lot with obviously with the college kids coming home. Um, all, all those things are are really important to be able to like have a dialogue with them. You know what you talked about in terms of like ego. Uh, I think that's that's the biggest piece right there. Um, just being able to communicate with somebody intellectually but also from a place that's respectful um because you know when we care about someone who's you know who's under our care we want the best for them but you're not going to do that by doing them a disservice by bringing an ego to a conversation with somebody they're already working with or somebody you're going to let them work with you know, to really need to approach that with, you know, with an open mind and, you know, open dialogue. So, um, yeah, I, I love that, that connection that, that we are able to sort of have with, with different, um, different professions. Yeah. With everybody under that roof and being able to have an open dialogue with everybody, at the end of the day, like you guys don't need to individually, one of you take the credit for it. Like it's, if the athlete has success and, they're healthy and they can go back to doing what they love and 
for most of them, like you said, 90% of them, that's playing their sport again. So I think that's a win for the whole company, like everybody on your staff in general, no matter if they just greeted that person once at the door or if they helped for the majority of the rehab process, but like having a spectrum kind of, of that return to play where it's like the day post-op, like leading up to the day they get to finally released and, and kind of having people along for the ride that help in different aspects, like on that spectrum, I think that's huge. And it probably lends it to faster return to play, more successful return to play too, when everybody can collaborate together. Yeah. The other piece is too, like I may have like my CSCS or a background in strength and conditioning, but, but my business model doesn't allow me to, you know, structure programming that would benefit the athlete most. Also, like I'm not practicing that every day. So, you know, you, you can say like, I'm a PT slash strength coach, but am I practicing as a strength coach? Like, absolutely not. So I'm going to try to put that athlete with somebody who's doing it every day. You know, I utilize that knowledge to be able to have the conversation with that clinician or that coach. But for me to like sit and say like, I'm doing programming, like weekly programming for, for my athlete or, you know, uh, like measuring like every six weeks, like frequently on the things that you guys might measure. Like I'm not really doing that sort of stuff. And there's just like a few more pieces to it that come into play that don't allow for me to do that. One is the time that I work with the athlete, which is, you know, one-on-one for 45 minutes, which is a ton better than most of the physical therapy places um, across the country. But, you know, it's not an hour and a half, session that you would typically see, you know, in a college weight room or something like that. So um, you're, you're kidding yourself if you think you're able to do all of those things for an athlete, like throughout the process. And, you know, why not lean on somebody else, you know, when you can, it just gives you more time to be more specific with what you want to do. So if I have an athlete that, that's really struggling with getting their knee forward or over the toe or loading their quad, I can work on that two or three times a week for 45 minutes and then ship the rest of the rehab out to a strength coach that can cover the other million muscles that they need to improve on. You know, I don't need to try to cover all of it in the short amount of time that, that I get with, with the athlete. And I think that's, you know, probably the biggest benefit of, of being able to share people with, with other coaches. Yeah, that's definitely a good thing. I think that's, that's sometimes the hard model that we, like the opposite end of it is a hard model, like for the collegiate setting is it's, we're not, we're kind of under the same roof, but the time of the day or how we're able to work with the athletes usually is not as congruent as it should be like, mm-hmm. which, which is practice and class and, and rehab and lifting and conditioning. Like sometimes they're just very, they're stacked up on each other that they're not always as free flowing and connected as they should be. And that's a good point you brought up. Like, yes, you're well-versed in everything. Like you have your CSCS, like you played lacrosse for a number of years at a high level. And like you, you're very intricate in how you approach everything, but you know, your limitation and your main focus is on the physical therapy side, making sure they actually can move properly and the rehab is done well 
and then you can kind of refer the rest of it out so someone else can focus on that because it's not like you're just working with one person you've got back-to-back people the whole time different and like intensive rehabs as well so it's it's a good model where you're when you pass it on to someone else for the next part of it they can continue to work on those things and not double down or or not kind of like miss the boat on what's the next stage of the process so kind of like on that train of thought um i always want to ask this for like like from a physical therapist standpoint like because you see a lot of college athletes you see a lot of high school athletes that are hoping to play in college what do you believe is athletes are really lacking when they get to a college level or even to high school what do you think coaches can continue to improve upon to kind of address these issues so that we don't have to refer them so much to you? Yeah, it's a big, I mean, you're probably going to love this answer, but I think most of it is, is building a relationship with, with the strength and conditioning coach. I think um, there is just eons of evidence that shows that athletes who are stronger are more resilient and get injured less. So, you know, that classic, kid that I mean is, is even doing more than a lot of other kids that comes in for six weeks of winter workouts and then goes and plays sports without coming back and like consistently going through that process it's like you're you're not working on that long-term athlete development type model you know you you've got to be doing something all year round in this climate at the level at which all these kids are involved in in, in club sports and high school sports and two or three different sports here. You, you have to be doing something on top of just playing the sport all year round that I'm in season. I can't lift like has to go away. You're not periodizing like your program for your sophomore JV year. Like if that's the level that you're playing at and looking to play in college, like you need to periodize for your junior and senior year of college whatever if that means like showing up to practice a little sore because you you lifted on on that day you got to take that and on top of that you're not going to be as sore or under the weather or you know not performing your best if you consistently do these things all year round so you know my biggest thing is when we're talking to athletes who you know seem to be like repeat offenders of these things is that you know i can keep patching you up but it's, that's not a good process to continue to go through because every time you miss three weeks of practice, you're, you're not getting better. Everyone else is getting better around you. If you can get on top of it, say starting in the summer and then consistently work with someone like all year round, like you're going to be in much better shape. Um, so I think that's probably the, the biggest thing. I think on, on top of that is, you know, we talked a little bit about like ACL injuries and, you know, those things are freaking rampant right now. And I think they're not going anywhere is there's tons of great resources on injury prevention. And, you know, I think the common thing people hear or talk about is, you know, you, you can't uh, like prevent an injury or you can't prevent this, but there are so many things that you can do as an athlete or a coach to reduce your likelihood of having a kid, having a season ending ACL injury. The biggest one, which I think would be is a really good resource is, is the um, FIFA 11 or the FIFA 11 plus. Um, they've done tons of studies on, on that thing, which is a series of exercises that coaches can use as a, a warm-up. Um, and it is mind-boggling to me that 
not every high school coach is like running through this or not every college coach is running through those programs. They take 10 to 15 minutes and they've shown like 60 to a hundred percent reduction in ACL injuries. So I think people are scared to put in a program like that and have somebody tear their ACL and they're embarrassed to say, Hey, like my program didn't work, but they're totally fine letting three or four kids every single year, not only like their bench players, but their best athletes tear their ACL every year and just say, that was bad luck. That just happens. Like, this is just what it is. And I think like there needs to be a shift in mindset in that, you know, I think people are, are starting to adopt the performance model more and more and that like strength conditioning model more and more. But the probably the greatest benefit that can come from those sort of things or, you know, speed for 11 or some sort, something that looks like that is that the kids that get hurt the least will be the most successful. And I think pro players like men and women constantly talk about that. You know, once, once you get, for four years into a pro league, you're not banging and clanging anymore, right? Like you, those are the, not the thing you're trying to extend your career. And people have made like Tom Brady, the great example, has made a lot of money off programs that have like extended his career. He's had a very long, prosperous career because he knows the things that are going to reduce his likelihood of being hurt and continue the likelihood that he will be on a practice field every single day. And the more you practice, the better you get. The more you get hurt, the worse you get. And I think it's really simple um, math in that perspective. And I think we need to continue, I think, to promote and educate coaches on simple things like that to help their athletes. Oh, man, I love it. It's so simple, but it it gets forgotten so easily, too. And, I mean, that's the simplest thing you could say. The more time you're actually healthy – and available. And that's what we, I preach with all my coaches all the time. It's like, what's the number one thing of a successful team? Like, what would you say? Like, I would ask them all the time. If I put all your players out, what's the best thing about them? Availability has got to be number one. Yeah. I have that written down, like every championship team every year. What are like the reporters and, and coaches and things like that all talking about? Like who can go the longest with the least amount of injuries and who has the deepest squad and and it's like that but that is the last thing that we think about you know in sports in terms of like preparing our athletes to compete it's like it's just uh, it just is lost i think in in the whole like it's not sexy you know it's usually typically like mundane and a little bit boring and i think as a profession we probably need to do a better job of you know um disguising it or you know, making it a little bit more enjoyable or educational for athletes so that they can like see the benefit of it. And I think that's probably something that, you know, we need to look within our own profession and, and do better. Um, but yeah, like, like you said, the teams that get the least, uh, you know, for the longest possible, always go the distance. Yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, we need to stop retroactively thinking about injuries, like injuries are going to occur. And if we don't, like consider them until it's already happened. It's already too late, but you do bring up a good point. Like a lot of the stuff that tends to be kind of what most people would deem as injury prevention is, is not sexy. It doesn't look cool. It's, it's not skill work related, 
but there are definitely ways that you can kind of disguise it into your program or add it in certain ways. I mean, FIFA 11 is a great resource too for, for any youth. I mean, middle school, high school. I mean, we, I've taken bits and pieces of it and put it into our programs for warmups. I mean, it's a great resource and it's, it's free. It's out there and more people need to do it, but people are so frequent and so easily want to skip to the end. They want to do what the top level players are doing, not realizing that they have 20 years, 10,000 hours, whatever you want to, the rule, whatever you want to put into place. They already have are built on such a heavy foundation of the basics. And like that is already ingrained in them. And surprise, if you go watch them warm up, they're doing those things and they do them so repetitively every single time. That's why they're resilient. It's because they continue to do those things more and more. But I mean, I love when you say basically stronger is better. That's, that's always a good thing to hear. And it's always a good thing that I tell like freshmen when they come in, because I'm going to get an assortment of them. And I'm sure with your rehabs, I mean, injuries are frequent, they're going to happen. And you might get someone that does no training history, but you also get someone that is a meathead all the time. And it's, it's part of sport and it's part of the risk you have in it, but I've never met someone that's strong that doesn't like being strong. So it's, it's a good thing to have on your side. I think if you get someone who you definitely see those athletes sometimes who maybe like spend too much time in the weight room and could probably use like a little bit of time, like working on their craft. And, and that's super common. I think I was probably like guilty of that. Even like when I, when I, you know, first came over and was just fell in love with, with the weight room in retrospect, probably should have shot a little bit more, but I also think that it's very easy to tone down somebody who's um, got that level of experience in a weight room. It's very hard like to make somebody who doesn't have any strength, like go through that because it's a painful process to start, right? Like everything hurts for a long time when you're, when you're first starting to do strength training and things like that, or learning the movements and, you know, making changes to programs that like, fit the things that you can do well but that process is a much steeper hill to climb than than having someone say hey you know what like two or three times a week like in season's great like you're perfect like you look like someone who's not going to get injured let's go spend some time you know working on the skill aspects of of your sport I think that's just a lot easier to work with and I think I think that's you know what what coaches like to see as well you know, I think that they, they like to see players that don't have to miss practices for little things, ankle sprains, like cost strain, hemi sprains, because they've never lifted a weight in their life or they've never done any sort of like uh, structured exercise program. No, for sure. I mean, I'd always rather I'd always rather pull someone back than have to push them forward. And that's that's a great point, too. I mean. It's going to be rough in the beginning, no matter what. But I mean, once you kind of get the train rolling and you grease the wheels a little bit, then really you could, all you got to do is just be consistent with it. And it's, there's points in time where you can maintain it, like, but it's, it's built on years and hours of work that you actually have to put in ahead of time. I mean, you got bit by the D mini bug. So it's just like, 
<laughs> the, the stick skills might not always be there as much as an attackman. So it's like, what are you going to do but eat, get big, and just hit the guy coming across the crease? It's a much uh, it's a much simpler process to go through when you <laughs> when you like wake up and have to you know follow somebody else running at you instead of being creative and you know making a play when you're light years behind on <laughs> on the skill aspect of the sport. So it was a nice a nice little switch for me later in the career. There you go. Hey, so speaking of training a little bit, like I know that you're able to. It's pretty cool. Like in your spot, like we talked about where you're able to kind of be on the other side of the spectrum where you're working with the strength coaches, but you're working with your athletes in rehab to kind of integrate them back into their sport. So you get to kind of get on the field a little bit, especially since you work with in, in one of the hotbeds of lacrosse, like around that Baltimore, Maryland area. So how do you kind of continue to stay strong for life and train and, and even play lacrosse too? And what kind of benefits do you see from yourself and with your athletes too, with you still training? Yeah. So I think I, I, I love the sport lacrosse like in general. So I I've recently probably in the last year started picking it back up again and, you know, competing again. Um, I never really dropped the stick out of my hands, but I, I think it's, it's a beautiful game and, it's given me so much and, you know, I'd like to keep it in my life as long as possible. So um, for me, this job is awesome. I get to, like you said, work in a hotbed of lacrosse and treat so many lacrosse athletes and, you know, shoot with them or, you know, keep a stick in my, my hand and working. But um, you, you don't want to go to the dentist that has terrible teeth, right? Or you don't want to have a mechanic that's cars always broken down. So I think, you know, that practice, that easy practice what you preach saying is is true here so you know if you come in to, to see me and you have a really specific lacrosse related injury like a stress fracture in your back from shooting too frequently or have poor mechanics it's, it's good to have someone come and say hey like how many balls are you shooting a day like are you shooting them all step downs or are you coming around the cage or are you you know taking balls in close and you know dipping and dunking and those kinds of things so you can get an idea for like what they're actually doing so i think that's super important that's the piece i, I lean lean um on a lot um and the other piece in terms of like training myself is it just gives me some mental clarity I, I think you know once you get into that you know heavy work life and you leave the college sports behind it's hard to find those outlets um and lacrosse has been a great outlet for me and playing competitively is probably the you know, one of the things that keeps my brain fresh all week, not to mention I get to, you know, mess around with some of the patients that come through, through our clinics and, and play with them, which is always really fun and, and meet a lot of people in the cross community. So, you know, if worse comes to worse, the, the, I meet somebody on the cross field that needs me in three years and they met me when they were playing against me or um, we met them. I met them after a game, having a beer with them, then, you know, that's awesome. You know, I get to you know use that as like a marketing opportunity too. So it's um, it's been it's been really good to kind of like keep the sport and play and and, and train train myself alongside all, all the athletes that come through. I think they call that guerrilla marketing, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. This, this year we actually we uh, we sponsored an indoor team that that I play on, so we stuck the logo on all on all the jerseys. So that was yeah. uh, <laughs> the logo was was going pretty good. Um, 
because that's fun. So hopefully we can keep doing that. We'll, we're going to throw it on some uh, some pennies in the Howard County League as well. So that should be pretty good. Oh, I miss the Hoco League. That's yeah. <laughs> I'm not. With, I don't want to play with the A's anymore, though. I'm done with that. All the college kids. Nah, you, you still got it. Uh, I don't know. Hey, but that's, that's you made a good point too. Basically, speaking their language, and I mean, you kind of bridge the gap really quick, and you get on their level right away when you can speak the language of like a, some lacrosse athlete coming in. So you have experience in it. They've seen you play, or you can you can at least talk to them and kind of break down their mechanism injury, what's going on with them quickly. And then you guys can already relate with it. What about sports that you actually maybe don't have so much background or information in? I know you have probably colleagues that you can talk to a little bit more. I mean, um, I don't know how much sports you watch outside of it or what else you played kind of growing up. Australia's got some interesting sports. so. But how do you kind of get with them on if it's not a lacrosse athlete too and, and do the same thing, speak their language a little bit more? Um, yeah, I think a lot of sports have very similar movements. I think, you know, like if you're – most sports are going to rotate, cut, pivot, run really fast in a straight line. Um, you know, there's things that cross over between a lot of sports, which is why multi-sport athletes, you know, tend to be really good. So if there's something that I don't know, like it's really easy to, you know, one, jump on YouTube, watch some – watch some film of either the current player that you're working with and try to, you know, break down the movement patterns or, you know, the qualities that they're lacking or something that you might see that have like maybe led to the injury or just looking at college drills that are typical um, for them when they go back. So you can put that like return to sport piece in there for them. Um, Like, I think like my job is to be able to like look at those things and pick out like the really low hanging fruit. But the biggest like low hanging fruit is always going to be like the, the tissue quality that you're trying to return to, to the field. So, you know, I think I was guilty of this like earlier on in my career is that like, I was so concerned being a sports physical therapist in like that late stage process. And so I did spend tons of time like breaking down different sports and, and trying to like make these drills for athletes to get closer and closer to return to sport. But what was happening to me is that like what I didn't see was that the athlete wasn't showing me what I wanted because I hadn't given them the tissue quality that they required or like the movement pattern that they required. So I think like as I move through like my career, I focus more and more on like the really, really basic things that an athlete needs, you know, like trunk control, like um, hip dissociation or like for an ACL, like the ability, you know, the ability to load their knee like in front of their toe and, you know, get their quad working. Cause if you're asking somebody to cut a pivot and they can't do that, they're never going to show you what you want to see. And you can put in the, you know, the most intricate amount of drill, the most intricate drill or give them 4 million of like the nicest cues. But if you haven't like done the basics, they're just not going to show it to you. So I think, on one level, I love taking my lacrosse athletes that further step because I'm really able to. And if I don't understand what to do with, say, like a baseball player, like you said, like um, or a basketball player or something like that, we've got great people in the clinic that I can kind of like pass them off to or ask questions and learn things from. But 
you know, from a, from a, from a perspective of, of all athletes, like you just need to be able to like do the thing that helps them move well. So that when you ask them to do the drill, they do it. They, they don't forget how to do things within the nine months of like the year that you're working with them. They don't forget how to do the movement. They're either fearful of the movement or like I said, they don't have the tissue quality. So if you build those two things really well, you have like what I call these like really boring or like non-eventful return to sport sessions where they just look like graded exposure to the sport. So for example, like a great example of this is the first time you had somebody jogging um, after let's say a major knee surgery, like a meniscus repair or something like that, you know, that that's going to occur at like, let's say like 12 to 16 week mark. Like my goal is that when I say, all right, we're going to do our first jog is that they jog and we're all looking at each other like, that was stupid. Like that was the most ridiculous 45 minute session ever. Like, why do we, why do we even need to look at that versus they jog. I watch them. I have to take video. I have to break it down. I have to see what they're doing, right. What they're doing wrong. And sort of like try to correct those in the sessions. That doesn't happen when you do the things prior to that, that they really, that they really need leading into it. And that's not even really like that sport specific, but that's true for, all those phases of going, going through, right? Like if they're post-op hip and you're trying to have them cut laterally and they're unable to load like their outside or inside hip appropriately into the turn, like it's just not going to happen and they're going to compensate around that problem. It's not because they don't understand the drill or like they're not good at it. It's because you didn't do your job in, in coaching them in, in like – improving their strength or their coordination prior to that drill. So I think that's like a really big piece that I've, I've worked on in the last couple of years. Yeah. I really like that. I mean, you, you can get as elaborate as you want to actually try to mimic whatever their sport is or what their specific position or what they were really good at when they first came in before they were actually injured. But if they're not prepared for it, like you said, if the tissue quality is not there or if they're fearful because it's the same the same sort of action they did when that caused them to get hurt. Like they're going to guard themselves against it completely. And the whole point of what you said, that's probably the theme of the whole show right now is just being really good, being brilliant at the basics. And if you can fix those things and prepare them like along that stage of the process, one, it's probably building confidence. So they're getting less and less fearful because now they feel like they're returning to what they can do. And if you keep harping on the basics, like you said, you're not going to forget complex things that you were doing in your sport. You excel at your sport. You got hurt in your sport. So why do you have to skip far ahead to make them do a rocker dodge like and then fake it and then throw it behind the back, whatever it ends up being, when you could really just teach them how to shift their weight from side to side. Oh, now I remember this is the same as I do this move exactly. So they'll get the complex stuff if they have the tools and they have the tissue quality and they have the ability and the strength to actually exhibit it. That's a great point though. Yeah, I, I totally, I totally agree. And I'm, I'm on board with that. I just, I think that like going on the, on the fear side of things too, like you're talking about like guarding, it, it's all like that exposure to the task, but the thing that gives you the most like confidence in going forward and performing the task is, the things that you did before or like the tip namely and most often is like having 
the muscle, having the joint like strong enough to do the task. Like that builds confidence and that takes away fear. That that lot like that fear is always a lack of like strength or the lack of ability to produce force or the lack of ability to control emotion. And if you can't give the the patient that before that, or if you can't give the athlete those like pieces before, it will always exhibit itself as like fear or it will always exhibit itself as a compensation. Yeah, no doubt. That's awesome, man. Hey, so we kind of wrap up the show and we, we end it like any good training session would be with a good finisher. So I got four quarters, four questions, and uh, we'll just do one overtime this time. So let's win Sounds it. Let's, we'll win it in the first overtime. Yeah, that one hurt. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but hey, you can fire these back off as quickly as possible, or you can take your time on each of them. But you ready? Ready. Let's do it. All right. First one I got for you, biggest influence in physical therapy and favorite lacrosse athlete growing up. So I think the biggest influence in, in my career, my PT career, would, um, and I absolutely like hate and despise to say this, but it has to be my boss, um, Yoni Rosenblatt. He, he's the creator of True Sports and has been a really good mentor for me th- throughout my career. So I'm not letting him know I did this podcast because I don't want him to hear that. But, uh, but he's, been, he's been really good in, in you know, paving, paving the way, way for me. Favorite lacrosse player? Um, that's a that's a great question. Um, I'm gonna have to go with two two local Baltimore guys that that are, that are still currently playing and and I have a good relationship with. So I have to go with Dima Class. I think off the field, um, he's done an amazing job in 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 breaking down things that kids can use to develop their game. And I think he's just given so much back to the sport by doing that. Um, and he's also an amazing player to watch. And then also I have to go along on top of that, you know, and say his colleague in, in Matt Don is, you know, phenomenal on the other side of the ball. Um, on the defensive side of the ball. I think he's a guy that just makes zero mistakes on the field. Phenomenal to watch, but, but also has done the same thing. And, you know, I've really enjoyed, um, listening and learning to hit, like learning from him in that same manner, um, how to break down different sort of like maneuvers and things like that. And and I use a ton of the stuff that both those guys put out um, with my athletes and, and return of sports drills. So um, those guys would probably be the top two. Right on. Hey, so what can you be found doing when you're not doing physical therapy work and when you're not laxing? What are some of your go-to hobbies? The only thing I do outside of that is uh spend time with my family so i got uh my wife leslie and and three little kids um so we're pretty pretty hands-on right now um in the thick of it so i'm usually found either jumping on a trampoline going to the pool um coaching some five-year-old soccer all falling asleep on the couch with two kids on top of me there you go hey so if you're giving it some thought what do you think you would be doing if it wasn't physical therapy? And if you could go pro in a sport other than lacrosse, what would it be? If it wasn't doing something other than physical therapy. Um, in a related field, I, I really loved um, 
the like the sports med sales the, and you know that kind of area um i was really interested in that um and one of our buddies is, is big into that brandon um so i really love that that area i, I love surgical cases and things like that so it's really in- interested in me totally left field outside of that i probably own a candy store big candy guy um can't get away from a, a side note american candy is terrible um, what was the other question? If oh, another pro sport. Yeah, which one? Um, I like basketball. I'm absolutely terrible. But I play defense a little bit, but I just think that I'm just amazed that people can shoot a ball inside a tiny hoop like that. It's just awesome. All right, well, I got to do a bonus question for that. What's the, right. be- what's the best Aussie candy then? The best Aussie candy would have to be company called allen's and they make these uh these long uh they're called killer pythons it's like a long snake about about a foot long um that's the best candy there is in the whole world i've had some uh i think they're chocolate covered like pineapples i think they came from australia i don't know they might be they might be new zealand (laughs) i don't don't know i thought i thought they were pretty good all right (laughs) Hey, so if you're setting up an ideal training day or it's game day and you're going out and let's say it's Memorial Day weekend, what's your go-to training song, PR song, and what's your post-training victory meal look like? So probably the music that I listen to the most, and it still probably comes back from my college days, is I'll probably have a little uh, Rick Ross playlist on. Um, that, that's, a, that's a big guy for me. And, but lately I've been, I've been on the, uh, best of 50 cent, uh, um, playlist, which has been pretty good to me too. Eating wise, I'm pretty easy. I'm, I'm a garbage disposal. I eat whatever's in, in front of me. So I'm not real picky there. Um, but I definitely would have to pay my wife a compliment with her, with her cooking. So anything my wife cooks, I'll absolutely 100% eat. Um, any day of the week there's some brownie points yep all right last one i got for you for overtime most valuable piece of advice you've received and if you want to share from who the most valuable piece of advice that's tough you're gonna make me think on that one whatever comes to mind then um, I'll, I guess I'll, I'll go with, with a quote that I use, and this is a tagline at, at the, uh, at the end of my, end of my email. Um, but this is from, from Theodore Roosevelt and it's super corny, but I, but I love it. And I think it's real, really deep. Um, nobody cares how much, you know, until they know how much you care. I get crap for that every day of the week at my work, but, but I love it because I think it really speaks to that, everything that we're trying to do as clinicians, strength coaches, um, surgeon, healthcare related, you know, coach, whatever it is. I think that, you know, you can be, and I, I see this all the time. You can be the smartest person in the room. You can have all the knowledge in the world, but if the people in front of you, like, don't feel like you're invested in them, then they completely shut down and, and, and don't buy in. So I think that's, you know, the, the way I try to like shape 
my career. Um, and especially early on as a, as a new grad, I think you don't know that much. So the most, the best thing you can offer is, you know, giving everybody everything you've got. And, and I think that really rings true to me. Yeah. Corny quotes aside, I like it though. I like it. I mean, there's a reason, there's a reason why you were a two-time captain at Salisbury. And, and I think that you brought a lot of things to the table. You're a great leader. You worked your ass off there. Like no one respects D middies. So my hat's off to you. It was, it was easy. You made my job a ton easier, like trying to be the same age as everybody else <laughs> and try to get stuff going. I mean, it, it was easy to talk to you and you, you commanded the room no matter what. And, and it's, I think it's a testament to how much you cared about it and how much you invested into it. And, and it shows with the athletes you work with, like, like now in the clinical setting, like being a physical therapist and, and still a teammate. So my hat's off to you, man. And I, I really think that's, that's what kind of made it who you are and it's helped you in your career. So how can, uh, how can people continue to follow you kind of see some of your rehab processes and uh, some of those sweet dodges maybe now that you, maybe you're an attackman now. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I, still, uh, I still run the utility guy. Um, so probably the best way to like find me is my Instagram, which is dr.stone.dpt. Made the, uh, the switch recently from the old one, which was a little too corny for my liking. It, was, it shut me down, which was Lax Doctor. So if you already follow that, it's been switched. Um, and then our company's uh, Instagram is just True Sports PT as well. There's a lot of good stuff getting posted on, on there as well. And then you can find any other physical therapist like through that link. All of us are really active on social media. Um, you know, whether that be someone in the baseball field, basketball field, soccer, someone in our clinic is a specialist at one of those sports and, and they're posting, you know, things on that. So there's something for everybody. Um, if you go to that true sports, uh, Instagram. Awesome. Yeah, man. Like I said, it's awesome to have you on. I think you guys are a great resource. I mean, I utilize that stuff all the time because trying to bridge the gap between bringing people back and then even seeing what you're doing, because it kind of makes me progress the stuff that I got going on. But I mean, you, you've been, you've been a huge help with my career. And uh, like I said, we got to work with each other for a long time going to school together. So I can't thank you enough for coming on the show today and uh, and rejoining the Burry Boys for a little bit. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for having me. Thanks for breaking me in for my, uh, my first one. It was Amen. fun. It was fun. Happy to help, man. And uh, we'll definitely we'll definitely have to do it again. Absolutely. All right, man. All right, I'll see you. That's it for this episode of The Strength Game. Thank you again to this week's guest and to our sponsors, Cerberus Strength. Be sure to connect and keep up with our guests at the links in the description below. Remember to subscribe to us on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast provider to stay up to date on all future episodes. Also, check us out on YouTube and CoachO'Brien.com, where you can find all the video versions of these episodes, as well as show notes, episode schedule, and much more. Comments, ratings, and reviews are always welcome and appreciated. Thanks again for tuning in. Be sure to join us next week for another great episode of The Strength Game.